love one another as I have loved you. It became a new commandment because the previous presentation of Leviticus 19 only suggested that one is to love thy neighbor as thyself. But when Jesus inserted that I wanted you to love as I have loved you, he moves the action of love to a new dimension. We discussed this morning the importance of understanding how diverse the acronym for PUSH can be. We probably best know the usage of the acronym P-U-S-H, PUSH, when we think about the language of Jesus in Luke 18 and 1, men ought always to pray and not faint. Or 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, in which Paul admonishes us to pray without ceasing. We gather, of course, from those two passages that there is a strong suggestion to us to pray until something happens. Regardless of the context in which we find ourselves, we can never lose sight of how impacting prayer can be, not just in regard to the outcome of the situation, but prayer is helpful in keeping my feet grounded to the ground. It helps us to maintain strength until something happens. We also glean how important the acronym is when we listen to Paul's encouragement to the young pastor Timothy as he is engaging in a diverse manner of ministry that perhaps he had never witnessed before. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, around the third verse, he informs Timothy that men will become one of itching ears. Their desire would not be to hear the gospel with clarity, but to hear the word of God that it might please them. And he warns him in the second verse to preach the word in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort, and do so with patience and instruction. In other words, he says that the listeners that you have, it will progress to a point where they will not want to hear sound doctrine but instead they will only want you to really not to empower them but to entertain them and he says Timothy what I want you to do is to preach until something happens preach the word of God even when you don't see that there is nothing coming about. Keep preaching because in time, something will happen if you preach the word of God. But we're further exalted to catch a hold of David's words in Psalm 34 verse 1 because that is a sort of spirit shaper that when you come to worship or even just moving about through the day, and I would argue particularly when you arise to the newness of day, it's an admonition, but it's also an affirmation that one can begin to trumpet in their spirit as they look out 
to the course of what the day might bring. David says, I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make boast of the Lord. In other words, David says, when you arise to the newness of every single day, you might want to entertain the idea to praise until something happens. Because when you go through the course of your day, sometimes moments will occur where it will only be a praise that can actually get you through in terms of inspiration. That might be a moment in which you may just very well decide enough is enough and you may give up too quick only not to know that your breakthrough is right there at the edge. You are right on the edge, but all you've got to do is utilize the weaponry of praise until something happens. But then we may take a hold of Paul's words to Romans chapter 4 and 17, where the preacher identifies Abraham as not only the father of faith, but as a great example of how one operates in the realm of faith. That one has to move out, one has to move forward at the direction of God, but across the way you will encounter different obstacles and experiences that may look very dim and gloom. And Paul says, that Abraham did something that he admonishes us to do. Abraham called those things that be not as though they were. In other words, Abraham may be suggesting to us to look at what you're going through and not allow it to dictate to you, but you prophesy until something happens in that situation. All of those acronyms are important. In fact, they are revolutionary. They'll change your life. They'll change your whole perspective on how you see life. They will recreate your intentionality of moving through every single day if you engage them, if you allow them to come alive in your life, if you put them in your memory bank, if you allow them to be life to your soul you'll be surprised what praying until something happens will do what prophesying until something happens will do what praising until something happened will do and preaching until something happens what it will do it will change the trajectory of your daily journey. You will no longer be distracted or be discouraged by what you see around you. Instead, you will be focused on the deliverance by what you see before you. And all because of those affirmations, you will come upon a new idea, a new mindset as to how to move forward. But Jesus underscores that in John 13 and 14 by lifting up this commandment to love one another as I have loved you. In John chapter 14, 
beginning in verse 15 all the way down to verse 25, 26, he says something even more deeper. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, it will be more than lip service. It will be action behind the words that you say. He demonstrated how he wanted the disciples to love in chapter 13 by washing the feet of the disciples and then by receiving Judas Iscariot at the supper table. He showed them. He demonstrated that I'm not just talking about as I have loved you in theory, but I'm showing you what love is. I'm humbling myself in the form of a servant to wash your feet. And then I'm humbling myself in the form of God's extensive love by receiving someone who has rejected me. But he increases the challenge as he continues to converse with one disciple who he know is pretty persuasive in the group. He's the one disciple who's not only persuasive, but he's a kind of peculiar guy as well. Simon Peter could be the friend of everyone until you cross him. He's the kind of guy who is straightforward and he doesn't always connect the dots with clarity. It takes him a while sometimes because Simon Peter might arguably be not the most academician that one would come in contact with. He's a practitioner of common sense. In the episode of John chapter 21, they go out fishing, but they didn't catch anything. And Simon Peter is not a theorist. He's a practitioner. He knows that there are certain times you have to go out into the ocean to fish and he knows when you go in those certain spots if they're not biting you come on back to shore but Jesus takes that moment in which might be considered Peter's greatest strength his profession as a fisherman and actually uses it to depict his weakness he teaches him a lesson about how he wants love to be demonstrated. So what does he do? Once again, Jesus does the servant thing. He prepares breakfast on the beach for the disciples who've been out fishing all night. They come back with nothing in their nets. But Jesus meets them on the shore and tells them, go, go on back out there and cast your net on the right side. And the Bible says that when they captured fish, you look down to the text, it says very clearly that they captured not just a few, but quite a bit. Verse 11 says in chapter 21, 153 fish. That ain't too bad of a catch. But Jesus said, I don't want you to concentrate on the catch. 
I want you to understand the importance of following my instructions. And the text says that he told them, let's come and have breakfast together. And the disciples knew who he was because who else could start a fire on the beach without lighter fluid? Who else would invite someone to have breakfast on the beach and you don't have any food to have breakfast? Who else would watch you toil to catch fish and you don't catch fish and then you get back to shore? He tells you to turn around and go back out there again. Point you where the fish are and when you bring them back, let's have breakfast together. He is treading the way that we would understand why love is so deeply experienced. Because it's more than lip service. You've got to show somebody that you really love them. God gave his greatest demonstration of love Actually, not in the provision of miracles. If I had been in the crowd when he took two fish and five loaves and turned them into a miracle, fed 5,000, I would have thought that would have been the most demonstrative act of love I could have seen, but that doesn't top the cake for what he would do later. If I had been there by the place to which the man who had been harbored for 38 years and saw Jesus raised him up, I would have thought that was the greatest expression of love by simply telling the man to lift up his bed, but that would never compare to what he would do later. If I had been there witnessing the woman with an issue of blood and saw how she was healed by reaching to touch his garment and the flow, the virtue, says the gospel writer, that flew out of, that came out of Jesus into that woman's body, I would have thought that was love unspeakable. But none of that compares to what happened on that Friday. Because love is more than lip service. Love is sacrificial. And love has the willingness to go the second, third, fifth, tenth, until there's no limits in the miles to which it will go. When they get back to the beach and Jesus begins to feed them, says the text, nobody questioned him, but Jesus took the bread and he gave fish likewise to them. And the Bible says here in the 14th verse, this is the third time that Jesus appears to them post-resurrection. The first time is back in chapter uh, 21, uh, back in chapter 20, verse 19, where he appears to the disciples who were shut off in an upper room in fear of what they might find from those by way of Pharisees. He comes in and says, peace I give unto you. The second time he appears to the disciples again, but this time Thomas is present because Thomas wasn't present the first time. And now this third time he appears in all of them, 
are there on the beach and Jesus gives a course on loving by way of service. And he tells us that you can't love each other as I have loved you, push acronym again, until you practice until something happens. He engages the practice manner to Simon Peter, my boy, once again. Jesus looks at him, verse 15, and says, Simon, do you love me more than these? What are these? The lambs that are all out here. Look, look, they must be in the presence, perhaps, in proximity, maybe, of lambs grazing in a field. But that, that wouldn't be right because they're too close to the beach. That would be too dangerous for the sheep. But that's the point. They are close to life's trouble. Lambs who can't see but so far, if you look at that as a metaphor, you can look out on the horizon and see life as far as you could see it. And there's a temptation by people who live on the edge. And Jesus says to Simon Peter, do you love me more than these lambs? Or, let's translate, more than these people who are living on the edge. Do you love me more than these who are pushing their life to the limit? Who want to be loved, but they think they will find their love out there instead of right here. If you do, Simon, look at verse 15. Ten to my lambs, ten to my sheep. Is that what it says? Are y'all reading y'all Bible like I'm reading mine? Because y'all mighty quiet. Because what he's saying to him is, if you really love folk like you say you do, then I want you to do a couple of things. One, I want you to tend to them, but in tending to them, I want you to groom them. But Lord, I'm, I'm a fisherman. I'm not a shepherd. I don't groom sheep. I catch fish. But love knows no boundaries. Love doesn't care if you are a fisherman or a herdsman or someone who manages sheep. Love says... Wherever you are, my job is to take care of you, to help groom you. But wait a minute, Lord. I know how to gut fish. I know how to get off the fins and take out the bones. I mean, I know how to de-head. De I know how to do a fish, but lambs, I don't know. And Jesus said, you're going to learn. Because you're going to practice this grooming of people's lives until something happens in their life. 
you're going to work at helping groom them, bring them back from that edge of destruction. And maybe what Jesus is trying to suggest to someone this morning is you are very comfortable where you are, but Jesus says, what good is love when you only love those who love you or are like you? What about those who are opposite of you and those who are with sheep? says Peter that's opposite of me I'm not a herdsman I'm a fisherman and Jesus says I want to take you where you would dare not go on your own I want you to love these lambs because you said you love me and do you love these more than you do Lord you know I love you if you do do it don't lip service, do it. But they don't look like what I'm accustomed to seeing. They don't act the manner in which I think they should act. They are totally opposite of what I desire to love. You don't love me then. Because as I am in you, and you are in me, and the Father is in us both, and since you are all created in my image, you've got to love others as I have loved you. Oh, this is a good one. This is a good sermon. It's hard because you are finding it very difficult to register because what happens is God's going to push you out of your comfort zone. And that is what threatens the fabric of our country. Someone is admonishing that the only way we're going to survive is that we're going to have to love those who don't look like us or act like us or even believe like we do. We still have to give God divine love and we find that difficult to embrace. And then Jesus got the nerve to come back a second time and says to Simon Peter in verse 16, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Now you got to look at my face. The first time, Simon, do you love me? Yes, Lord. More than these tend to my sheep. The second time, Simon, do you love me? What? Yes, Lord, you know. Not only groom my sheep, guard my sheep. There it is. Look at verse 16. Look at verse 16. Guard my sheep. Isn't that what he says? Look at that. Shepherd my sheep. If you know anything about a shepherd, a shepherd puts his life on the line for the sheep. He carries with him a sack with bomb oil. He carries with him a rod and a staff in his hand. Those are blessings he used to both tame and protect, guard the sheep. Are you willing to guard somebody else to preserve their life? Boy, I wish y'all could see y'all faces as I'm looking at y'all, boy, I tell you. Guard somebody else 
Why would I guard them? I don't know them. Guard. Here's a strange thing about us. We don't know someone, and yet if we are in a moment of an accident in which has occurred, we want someone, don't care if we know them or not, to stop and to help us. But I don't know you. I don't have no clue who you are. Do I really care when my life is on the brink of destruction? I want somebody to have sympathy on me, somebody to have mercy. If they came by the highway and saw me laid out on the shoulder, I'm hoping that somebody would stop and see, is this man alive? Does he need my help? But we've become such an insensitive society because we have ruined this aspect of love of guarding and caring about somebody else. You know it and I know it and don't stop, don't look at me like that because you and I do the same thing all the time. When we go down 95, when we see somebody on the side, uh, keep right on going. Not because we don't want to help, but because people are so dangerous, we don't know if it's a real thing or not. And isn't that something how Jesus is telling Peter, I want you to help folk who are wounded on the journey. It's almost equated to the man Samaritan, 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 who's wounded on the road to Jericho. And two Jewish individuals cross over on the other side of the street. The priest, the priest says there's absolutely no way I can touch him because I'm on the way to a town hall meeting and I got to give the invocation. I need to get there because it's going to start and they need me there to start. The Levite, the Levite says I can't touch him because it would violate Levitical law because he's bleeding. He is wounded and there's no way I can help him out. And here comes a Samaritan brother who stops by, picks him up, touches him in all of his gorge, in his bleeding, puts him on the back of his donkey, takes him in the town, takes him to the urgent care, and then tells the attendant of urgent care, take care of him. When I come back through, I'm going to pay you everything that you are owed. Guard them oh but we will have sensitivity if we saw a child on the side of the road i don't think anybody in this room wouldn't stop well you know this is called call and response <laughs> and this is where in the black church tradition I say something and you agree with it and you call and respond back, amen. You don't do this. That's not what we do. It helps move the service along just a little bit more. It, you really would help me out if you did that. So let me try it again. If we saw a child on the side of the road, I think all of us in this room would stop. Oh, there we go. Woo. Man, I didn't know what kind of church I was in. Okay, now we good, now we good, now we good. I not only want you to groom them, pamper them, because some people need pampering. 
Because love is pampering. Love says sometimes, oh Lord, here we go. I, I got to stroke the ego. I got to say some good things. I can't say anything bad because they will not comprehend it. I've got to get them over this hump. I got to help them grow, help them get to where they need to be. So I got to groom them. I got to pamper them. But also I got to guard them. I've got to protect them. Because love says when you don't know how to protect yourself, I love you enough to protect you. I'll tell you the greatest story I ever heard of love was from the late E.V. Hill. He's a pastor at the Mount Zion Church in Los Angeles. He was working in a civil rights act and he had received bomb threats from the Ku Klux Klan. His wife had been on the receiving end of some of those threats and she had known what he did not know the night before that she had received a bomb threat, that his car would be blown up. Now talk about guarding and talking about love. She gets up before he does the next morning and drives the car around the block to make sure there's no bomb in it. He wakes up in the meantime and looking for his wife and no wife is there. When she comes back, she comes back in her bathrobe and all, comes back to the house, and he says, where have you been? And she says, I, I just had to drive the car around the block, but it's okay now. You can go to work now. You can go. It's, it's all okay now. When I heard that story, I was like, my goodness. Then I asked, would I have done the same thing? It makes you think, don't it? Honey, I love you, but... Baby, I, maybe you shouldn't just drive the car today. Just leave it sitting right there. See if I can call somebody, come check it out. But love, we say love makes you do crazy things. I don't know if it's crazy, but that says something to me about how much she loved her husband. Enough, watch this, and I'm going to bring it back to Calvary. Enough to become the substitutionary person in the car that her husband would not have to go to death. She filled in the gap. Doesn't that sound like somebody I know who came down through 40 and two generations who arrived in a little town called Bethlehem and who walked down the streets of Jerusalem and who had the nerve to open blind eyes and to heal sick and to raise the dead and then one Friday climbed a hill called Golgotha and stood in the gap for everybody in this room today and didn't ask us if you want me to go. I can't to go he was guarding us because we are his sheep but he showed us how much he loved us by giving his life for us he protected us and then in verse 17 he asked him one more time. Simon is done now. He's, he's like, uh-uh. This is enough, Lord. Read the text. Look what it says. Simon, do you love me? Peter was grieved. 
he was broken because he said to the third time to him, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You already know how much I love you. Well, if you do, tend to my sheep again. Here's a, here's a hermeneutical point in every text that you read. If you see a statement made twice, that means that Jesus or the writer is trying to impress upon your mind, this is what I want you to get. Tend to my sheep. Can you watch the progression? Verse 15, groom them, pamper them. Verse 16, guard them, protect them. Verse 17, grow them and prepare them. I want you to help them grow up in life. I want you to help them become all that they were intended to be because when you love one another, people will see you're not a hindrance, you're a help. You're not an obstacle, you're an opportunity. You are one who's trying to help someone else grow in life and you're willing to pour into their life that they may become all that you want them to be. But you can't groom them, you can't guard them, you can't grow them until you practice it. You've got to practice until something happens. Preacher, you don't know the people that God puts in my path. Practice until something happens. Practice is connected to perfecting. Perfecting means I'm not perfect, but I'm working on getting to some form of perfection. And the good thing is, we know it'll never happen in this life. We could never be perfect. So that means I'm always practicing, always perfecting, always performing, always producing. Because that's the way God designed it. And that's what should be in a congregational life. We should be grooming each other. That's what love does. Because the shepherd who carries the bag of oil on his side, he discovers that the sheep has gotten a wound and he knows he's too far away from any actual medical help for the, shep for the sheep. So what does he do? He pulls out his oil and he anoints the sheep. That's why David said, he anoints my head with oil. The shepherd knows that he has to guard the sheep, but that's hard to do sometimes. So he has a rod that stretches out with a hook on it that it can grab itself around the sheep's neck and bring it back from destruction. You may not remember, but them old saints that was on their knees praying for us in them prayer meetings, they were actually reaching out with the rod and pulling us back 
from the brink of destruction. That ought to make you shout right there. Because if it had not been for somebody who had me on my mind and took the time to pray for me, to rescue me, on those feeble knees and I had the audacity you may have had the audacity many of us have the audacity to say things back to them that should not have been said should never have rolled from our lips and yet they loved us enough to keep on praying and to keep on applying oil and to keep on reaching out and bringing us back from destruction the shepherd also knows that I can't grow my sheep unless I lead them into green pastures and help them find still waters. And that's what love does. Love helps us find the green pastures in a person's life because no matter how much brown grass you see in a person's life, keep looking. And guess what? If you can't find any green grass, help them grow some. Tread up the old. Get it out of the ground. Lay some new seeds. Because if it hadn't been for some folk who pulled up the ground on us and laid down some new seed and who wouldn't give up on us but kept on pushing and kept on holding and kept on supporting and kept on loving and kept on loving and kept on loving and kept on loving and then they started to see that grass grow and they started to see it keep growing and every now and then they stopped by and helped me mow it back down so it'll look good one more time because they want to grow me that's what love does and that's what Jesus does and that's what Jesus says I want you to do. Help them prepare for life. We say that sheep are dumb, and we say dumb because they don't have the mental capacity to see far beyond what's ahead of them. They can only see the immediate context that their eyes can graze. Some people are actually like that. They're not visionary persons, but they yet can only see what's ahead. And when God gifts us with the ability to be able to visualize or with the wisdom to know what may be coming down the pike, it's our divine responsibility and our love factor to help grow them. And that's what church is about. I'm done. Here's the joy. Each year, we get a chance to hear that there are young teenagers, but they eventually become young adults. They grow up, they leave church, home, they go to college, and they come back. And those of you who have been around here for a long time, you remember when they were born or when they were just small children and now they are young adults getting ready to launch out into the real world 
In fact, some of us just some of them just graduated this past weekend. Now they got to do the number one thing: find a job. They're going to be introduced to the reality of life where they will realize that they will no longer get to sleep in a space for free. They're going to come to realize that the refrigerator, when it opens at some point, nothing's going to be in it unless they buy something to put in it. They're going to come to a reality to recognize that there is no longer mom or dad's car to get me from point A to point B. I'm either going to have to get the bus or I'm going to have to buy me a car of my own. But prayerfully, we have grown them enough and prepared them for those life moments where it's not a culture shock. But it's a joy of progress to step into a new level of life. Because I love them enough not to throw them out to the wolves. But I want to prepare them. And in church, these become our children. That's why I love it when we have babies. I say, let them alone, let them holler, let them run around, let them do everything. Because in this, in this little community, in this little space, I want them to get used to stammering and stumbling to different people and not in fear. But when they see those eyes, they feel secure. They know this is a safe place. That's what church is all about. And we don't do it anymore. I wouldn't tell anybody to do it now, but when I was growing up, it was more than just loving you. Loving you also meant correcting you. Correcting you meant I love you so much because you are a part of the village and because you are a part of the village I'm one of the chief elders in this village and because I'm a chief elder in this village I will not let you act any in every way in this house because once you leave this house you're going to go out into the public and I don't want folk to think that this is the way that you act out there how you act in here unless we prepared you to act right so when you were in here and you got out of line whether it was Miss Jones or Mr. Jones, both of them brought you in line. And mama just sat up in the choir loft and just looked at him and went, we don't do that anymore. You can't do that now. You probably go to jail now, I imagine. Can't do that now. But if you ever thought about it, I'm done. We're going to get ready to go. Have you ever thought about it? Maybe if we had done that with some children, we may not have had to go to court. We never had to bail them out. Correcting here because they love me so much. So much. My grandmama loved me so much that when she was in the choir loft and I was chewing gum in the pew, which if you grew up in church, you know you do not chew gum in church. Boy, she'd be singing that hymn book and look out there and see me chewing that gum, and then she'd look like this. (laughs) 
And you ever notice you just slide down in that seat? Because you know on the way home, oh, wee. That's love. That's love. That's love. But Jesus says, by, all, by this kind of love, all men will know that you love me. Because y'all have loved each other. And I just want to say this. We, we are trying to possess a love that lets you know that we are not here to be judgmental. We don't have a heaven or an eternal hell to place you in. But we want to love you wherever you are because we believe by faith that your journey is going to end in the presence of Almighty God. And the only thing we can do is help you along the way. And that's all we want to do. That's all we got to be as a church family. Help love, says Jesus, one another as I have loved you. Y'all didn't treat me like the 8 o'clock crowd. The 8 o'clock crowd got me going this morning, so I felt like, you know, I had to go up a notch. Y'all looking at me like, I know you're ready to go home. Well, let's say this. Don't ever underestimate love. Never underestimate it. Because I want to say, I remember, if my memory serves it correctly, I remember where C.S. Lewis had made the comment that uh, love doesn't always see eye to eye, but it always walks hand in hand. Doesn't always see eye to eye, but it always walks hand in hand. And he says, love walks in when everything else walks out. Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for...